Hello and uh, welcome back to Bombatho, the Scandinavian flavoured La Liga podcast. Uh, La Liga is back and I don't know about you, Alexander Jonsson, I did not realise how much I missed La Liga with a cup break. I'm so, so glad that league football is back this weekend. Yeah, well, especially the, for me, the most fun games to watch this weekend was Real, Sociedad, Real Betis, Real Sociedad, where Betis, which we are going to talk about, played really, really well. And when I was watching that game, I was like, God, I really love watching La Liga football because the quality is so high and it's so good and entertaining. Yeah, it's nice. It's been a crazy weekend as well. There were a lot of games that, that did not play out the way that I'd expected them to play out. But, um, well, one thing that we should start with that we've now decided is going to be a feature every week, which, uh, appropriately enough, when we decide is going to be a feature every week, ends up being the most negative uh, feature it could possibly be, is our every seven days or every round, we're going to do a roundup of how the Scandies have gotten on in La Liga, right? Yeah, even though maybe like this weekend, it actually proves why we're going to do it a little bit because it's not been the most interesting Scandi weekend. Um, so this will still give that every episode, we still have an update on how it's going for all the Scandies, even if we might not go into detail about every single one of them, just to keep everyone updated and uh, and feel that this is actually a Scandinavian La Liga podcast. Yeah, and with perfect timing. So just before the Christmas break or around about that time anyway, we had rounds of La Liga where we got like Martin Brathwaite scoring, where we got Alexander Isaac scoring, where we got Martin Odegaard providing assists, where we got Daniel Vass playing like some of his best games of the, the season so far. So right on time for our first uh, Scandi Roundup. They've all had pretty horrible weekends universally all around. I mean, Be- before we take one on one, we can say that not a single of our Scandinavian players managed to win this weekend. Only one got a draw. That player did not play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, the, so in other words, the moral of the story is that from now on with us talking about this, the best thing you can possibly do is just sit on the bench or if, even better, don't be in the matchday squad. It might even go better for you. But yeah, it, it's, it's not been a, a happy weekend for Scandinavians down in Spain. But hey, it, it had to happen at some point. They've generally been having a pretty good season for the most part. So I guess that there was always going to be a day when the cards sort of lined up this way. I mean, the best one in terms of individual end product, I, I guess, though I, I have a suspicion that it's not going to make much of a difference to him. Daniel Vaz got an assist against Mallorca with a consolation goal that Ferran Torres got at the end of uh, Valencia's humiliating, I have to say humiliating, 4-1 loss to, to Mallorca, which means actually he's up to five league assists for the season now, Vaz, which is the best that he's produced since he left Celta. Although his numbers at Celta were generally towards the end much higher I think it was up at nine or thereabouts he was producing but as a midfielder so that's good but he didn't have much to celebrate on an individual level either because if you if you look back the first goal the first uh, Mallorca goal it's as fast it gets caught out he lets his marker go and allows the the ball in the box to be fired home into the net so in general I'm pretty sure he's not going to be super content and then well looking around you saw you saw Martin Brathwaite in the South Madrid derby as they are calling it these days and again not one to write home about for him right no, not really. So if we, we're going to go through them one, one by one. So as you said with Daniel Vaz, he played, Vaz played 90 minutes as he normally does in his uh, new right-back position, which has, has become his position at Valencia. Um, as you said, he didn't have, like Valencia, not the most fantastic game, but did get an assist. So that's that's the most we got from any Scandi player in, in that sense uh, this weekend. But while he, we, uh, Leganes' loss against Fatafe was 
basically one-sided game in, in quite a lot. If if I remember correctly, it was the first game of the weekend, so it's quite a long time ago already, it feels like. Uh, but there's there's not really a lot to, to talk about there either. He played 90 minutes, um, as he do normally for, for Leganes. Um, if we go on from there, we had uh, Real Sociedad, which are the ones we talked the most about uh, with the Scandies we've been the most excited about this season. Uh, Alexander Isak did get to start, which was great, but he only played 57 minutes. I would say that that was more a tactical decision from Emmanuel rather than, than Isak not being bad or anything like that. He didn't have a fantastic game either, though. Didn't really do anything that, that stood out. Uh, Real Sociedad lost the game 3-0 against Real Betis away. And uh, Martin Adegord, as, as always, played 90 minutes as well as he do. Um, would be surprised otherwise. Not his best game of the season, but he wasn't bad. It's Martin Adegord, he's always good. So he had his his moments where, where he sparked through, but in, in all, it wasn't the best match for Real Sociedad and Betis were, were really good. Uh, so there were no real standout moments there either. And then our last Scandi is Pionicisto, who is the only one who got a point this weekend as his uh, Salta de Vigo drew against Athletic Club in Samamés. But he spent the entire match on the bench, so falling out a little bit of favours there for Oscar Garcia. So that is the Scandi roundup. And as you, we, I think we, we already touched on it in last week's episode, Jon Gudetti has left, which we're going to talk more about at the end, uh, La Liga. So there is no Scandi week update for uh, from him yeah so the end of an era from our point of view which we'll get onto later on congratulations and commiserations to Pione Sisto who wins the title of most successful Scandinavian and least successful Scandinavian in La Liga at the same time let's start then I guess with uh, the probably the biggest game in the title race at the moment between the two the two best teams that played each other uh, at the weekend Real Madrid against Sevilla uh, I'm guessing most people by now have had their opinions and dissected the various different opinions on the disallowed Sevilla goal that uh, would have been the opening goal for Sevilla in that game. We're not going to bother going into that because anything that can be said about it has already been said about it. But from my perspective, I wanted to highlight a player who I've not spoken about. I don't think this season, I don't think we've really spoken about this season. And when I have spoken about him in the past, it's been not for this regard. Casemiro, who, who scored twice for Real Madrid, scored their, their first goal and then scored the goal that also made that ended up being the goal that put them ahead. And could have actually had a hat-trick, which is incredible to say for someone who starts as a holding midfielder, but he came really, really close to scoring a third. It was a shot that went just wide, and considering how decent he is in that regard, it, you, you know, nine times out of ten, he might have gotten it on target. But what I wanted to say about him is that he's a guy, he's not underrated. I don't think that, I think it'd be ridiculous to say that Casemiro is underrated because everyone acknowledges by now how important he is to Real Madrid and when he doesn't play, it makes a big difference. But there is an aspect of his game that we don't talk about. We talk about him as this like sort of hard tackling defensive midfielder that covers a lot of ground and really makes up the difference for Madrid in terms of physical presence. But one thing that I think we forget about sometimes is that he's actually a really good attacking player and he doesn't really get to show that at Real Madrid. He showed it a bit when he was at Porto. Um, but every so often, when he gets a chance and he goes forward, he could really do some damage. And I've been wondering about this. I think that if we assume, and I think this is a fair assumption to make, that in the future, the Real Madrid's sort of first choice midfield will be Casemiro, Fede Valverde and Martin Odegaard. I think in that midfield three, 
you you get more of a chance to see Casemiro going forward, particularly because uh, Fede Valverde will cover ground as well. And Martin Edegar is not a lazy footballer either. He's he puts the work in when he when he has to. I think in that sort of more balanced all round physical midfield in the future, we might get to see more of this aspect of Casemiro's game. And I hope we do because he's got a good shot from distance. He, he can take a mean free kick when he's allowed to. Uh, he can he can score from in the box as well, and he's a really really good footballer in that regard it doesn't get said enough so I just wanted to single him out for some praise and I think he's a footballer who's probably a lot better at more aspects of the game than people realize that's my opinion mic drop <laughs> no I totally agree with you and I think in in general for defensive midfielders it's very easy uh, to kind of ignore them uh, because it's a position that you don't pay as much notice to um, and then when you talk about them, you, you talk about those uh, those uh, things that you were, were saying at the start about uh, how he's a hard worker, how he's a, a tough player and things like that. And, and you kind of for, forget uh, this other element to it. And I think that, to be honest, this season has probably been his best season in, in Real Madrid so far because um, he's, he's doing so much for the team. And especially uh, since we've been on about before that it hasn't been the best season for Real Madrid, it's starting to get better and better and, and looking better and better. And I think he's going to be so, so valuable for them uh, this season. It's so key in how their season turns out as well. Uh, so moving on then, I guess, to the other team in Madrid. It was a pretty disastrous weekend for Atletico Madrid, I think. They were horrible in A-bar. I mean, this was... The thing about Atletico Madrid, uh, A-bar matches, is that generally they're quite predictable because you know exactly how A-bar are going to play and you know exactly how Atletico Madrid go- are going to play. And until... until so this weekend, there was always the same outcome. Abar pressed really high, pressed really hard. They, they gave Atletico a long, a, a hard battle on their hands. And then Atletico figured out, all right, we can play the ball over the top and play into that space behind. And then they score and they win till the weekend Abar had never beaten Atletico Madrid in La Liga. That has changed and it was deserved. They were the better team. Interesting as well, because uh, we talked uh, a little bit about Abar before, I think or if it was somewhere else, I talked about it. But that they, uh, I've at least have been a little bit worried about them because uh, they haven't been picking up the points. They haven't been as secure uh, as you felt with them uh, previous seasons. Even though if it's when you actually watch them, that they are doing well, they're doing the right things, they're just not getting the points. Uh, but I, I wouldn't, for one, have expected them to, to take those points against Atletico Madrid of all teams and in the way that they did it. It was uh, very impressive. Yeah, I agree. I think there was a feeling that maybe the A-bar magic was uh, wearing off a little bit this season and this now looking at where they are on the table as well, this might be the one where they, they get into some trouble and... Because I mean, it's always been. It always feels like with Abar that they've been kind of living beyond their means. If you if you understand what I mean in that regard, like it's it's really great, yeah. that, and they deserve to be in La Liga. But at the same time, it's like, come on, a team with this budget, from this size of a place, with this size of a stadium, it's it's unrealistic to expect them to stay in La Liga year after year after year after year. On that topic, I watched um, the Six Dreams documentary on Amazon uh, this winter. It's like two seasons old now, but but still. Uh, which is really good, where uh, they follow, among others, the Abar president. And what I found really interesting is that she always like points out how li- they are planning for the future for when they're not in La Liga anymore, mm. because they basically, in, in the Abar world at least, they, they're very realistic in the sense that they are in La Liga on borrowed time, basically. And uh, one of these days, reality is going to catch up to them, and they're going to be back in, in Segunda, so they need to, to use being in La Liga and the incomes they get now in order to prepare for going back to Segunda. And 
what can we get out of, of being in La Liga? What can we ha- get out that we can, can be useful for the future when we're no longer a La Liga team, basically? And I found that quite interesting. On that regard, actually, yeah, I think the aspect that follows her in the 16, uh, Amaya Gorostisa Teoria, I hope I said that right, it's a Basque name, obviously, is the Abar president. But that that part of the Six Dreams documentary is by far the more interesting side mm-hmm. to it. Um, and she's an awesome person because she's a woman, a powerful woman living in a world that's been dominated by men and really holding her own um, and really doing remarkable things with that club. And she deserves a lot of admiration. And you can see why she inspires people, I think. So, if, yeah, that's a good uh, good shout from Alex, actually. Go and check out the, the Abar side of the Six Dreams documentary. Don't watch the Girona side because that's slightly more <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, we won't get into this, but it, it doesn't work out well for Girona in the end, nor Kike Carcel, the sporting director in Girona, and his uh, negotiations with then Girona coach Pablo Machin. But to return to the Atletico Madrid side of things, uh, we should touch on Jao Felix. I feel like uh, little Jao, which is the most patronising thing I could say, but he is little, he's a teenager still. He's starting to develop a bit of a bad attitude, and I, I'm not sure that's a good thing from his point of view. He he hasn't achieved anything yet in this game, um, and I'm wondering if he's starting to believe his own hype because his body language and the way he's been acting. I saw him; he was mouthing off um, at a few A-bar players uh, during the weekend when they were taking their time just to take a kick off or whatever to run down the clock, which is ironic because that's the most athletic thing you could possibly ever do. But as the way, yeah, the, the posturing, the, the body language, the tone that he seems to be taking, the, the way he sort of drops his shoulders when things don't go his way. I'm thinking, come on, man, you're you're four months into the season and stepping up to a really tough league. This isn't Portugal. This is La Liga. And you're already doing this. That's that's not going to get you very far. So I hope he's not listening too keenly to what Jorge Mendes is saying in his ear and to what the individual awards are saying to him because there's a a long, long uphill battle to go before he's an established top flight player. To, to be honest, seeing this development makes me a little bit uh, afraid for him because if he's like the, the typical uh, teenage success story that finish uh, where you don't really want it to finish, which I think he's seen both in, in football and in, in many other, uh, like the music business and things like that as well, where everything just goes too quickly um, and a kid who is still just a kid is put up, put in basically a grown-up world, uh, and expected to to behave in the same way um, as as the grown-ups in this uh, famous celebrity world, uh, or how to put it. And I think it, that that can mess around with with someone in in his age head quite a lot if you not have the right people around you. We've talked a li- little bit about this with Alexander Isak and Martin Odegaard, how impressed we are by their maturity. And I think, as I think we've said a few times as well, that they just have the right people around them, uh, people who help them to to go on the right path and, and think clear and stay on the ground. Um, I'm not feeling the the same kind of thing with, with Joe Felix. And also, at the same time, the, the bashing that this kind of returns... Uh, becomes on social media and etc from fans from fans of other teams because people don't realize that that this is just a kid um and when he starts behaving like this there's going to be a lot of of shit talk and a a lot of uh, negativity um around him and if he sees that which he probably will because he's a kid so he's going to be on social media he's going to be everywhere Uh, and that is also going to affect him and it can get into a very ugly spiral as I really hope that there is people at Atletico Madrid, that there is people around him that are noticing what is happening and actually step in. Because this is we this is not really on him, I would say. Because uh, he's still a kid. Um, I don't think you can really put it on, on him. At that age, if you're going to be in a club at that level that Atletico Madrid is with 
that exposure that it gets you you need to have the right people in the club you need to have the right people around you to to help you in in managing that well this is what this is exactly what people like gabby like diego godin like juan fran like felipe even uh used to do you know they <laughs> used to indoctrinate people into what athletic means and what it means to play for that team and i think that made a massive difference for them so now it's up to people like Koke, like saul like Yano black even to put their arm around them and, and teach them a bit of a lesson but that's that's the thing like there's a little bit of an imbalance in this athletic team there's a lot of new people coming in at once um and some of them are quite young as well so maybe yeah, this is a natural consequence of that it's, it's probably not the the perfect timing for a kid in the position of Joe Felix with the talent and the hype coming into the club I think had he come as you say uh, a few seasons earlier a season earlier or something like that uh, I'm not saying when he was even younger, but if he would have been the age he is now, um, with the players they had then, and with the kind of more secure type of where not everything wasn't up in there uh, as it a little bit is in a transformation time for for Atleti at the moment, it would probably have been a bit different. It's it's a lot about timing in football. It's a lot about circumstances um, and how how it will go for players. Um, it's it's not just I think some people say well if you have the talent and if you put in the work uh, circumstances doesn't matter but I think uh, luck circumstances timing all of those things are hugely hugely important if you're going to succeed yeah and a little bit more hierarchy as they say in Spain would probably not hurt the the cause right now which why it makes perfect sense uh, yesterday I think it was PSG's sporting director Leonardo for, former player of course said that Edison Cavani's got an offer from Atletico Madrid and that he wants to go there um, and Thomas Tuchel is cutting a pretty negative figure in that regard doesn't think that he's going to still be a PSG player by February so now it seems like it's going to be a question of Atletico Madrid and PSG trying to reach an agreement over where to meet in the middle between uh, how much they pay for the striker he's out of contract in the summer he wants to go to Atleti he's not been playing for PSG PSG admit that Atleti have made an offer Atleti need a striker and PSG want to make money from a guy rather than let him go for free to the same club in six months so it's, it's going to happen guys unless something remarkable happens it's it's going to be done off the top of my head there's a number of reasons why this this seems like a, a really good move for both people but not least for what we just talked about for the experience for the the winning mentality and for the the veteranship that someone like Edinson Cavani would bring and also and uh, this sounds ridiculous but it's true Atleti need Uruguayans man the more Uruguayans are in that Atletico Madrid squad, the more titles you win in general. Uh, there's something about the Uruguayan mentality that seems to gel so well with that club. And I could see how him coming in right now would really make a difference for them, especially as they have to make sure they don't fall back any further. They need to try and find some consistency and, and start winning matches. And I could see how he could give them a big lift at the right time. So hopefully that'll be all sorted out before the January transfer window closes for both the, the player who's not playing and for the club's sakes. Yeah. Moving on now, I guess we, we should address the, the first game of the Kike Setien era at FC Barcelona, which I watched back with great detail this morning. Um, and uh, I thought it was quite interesting and for a number of reasons, actually. There, there were a few things that, that I thought were telling and a few things that I thought showed that this is not going to be an overnight transformation. He's only had, was it five days on the job by the time that Barcelona played Granada? So to expect them to morph into something completely different would be unrealistic. But a few takeaways from this quickly, uh, given it's such a small sample size. It was very obvious uh, to begin with that they, they really want to try and play out from the back on the ground. So that was clear. That was the difference between between Setien and Valverde. Barca always tried to take the ball out 
on the ground from the back under Valverde. But after a couple of attempts, they would go long. They would go for the more direct long ball. They didn't do that. In fact, they almost never played that ball. I think the only person that did play it was Gerard Piquet a couple of times, made the switch. But it was when it was a very clear pass was on and it was a lot less sort of hit and hope, if you like. But at the same time, they were a little bit sluggish when they were doing it. So I noticed that, that their players were taking three, four, sometimes five touches with the ball, which is uh, not really... Con- conducive to playing that kind of football well because the more time you have the more time that the, the opponent has to adjust and to adapt and to close up space so there was a lot of you know like Samuel on Titi would take the ball forward then take the ball forward then take the ball forward then turn then turn again then pass to someone else and that that's that's going nowhere so that's an obvious sign that the, the idea is there but the the sharpness isn't quite there yet and that'll take some time to to get going at the same time though when they did manage to play some uh, one touch football particularly further up the field in the final third they looked really good um, but I'm I, I think I don't know about you this is a, a point I would make that regardless of who your coach is the, the lack of Luis Suarez is going to make a big difference for Barcelona and you could see it in that game against Granada because they really lacked cutting edge they they had a lot of people on the ball they had Antoine Griezmann and uh, Lionel Messi dropping into midfield as well to, to create numerical superiority but not many people running beyond so basically the runners were Jordi Alba and uh, Ansu Fati on occasion so without that that focal point in attack that Suarez provides so well and plays so expertly I think it's 14 goals that he's scored this season and then beyond that he's been involved in something like a third of their goals in general whether that's assist or uh, pre-assist he's going to be a huge mess and I, I wonder Kiki Setien is a coach who the one of the big complaints about him over the years has been that his teams play great football but lack cutting edge so now he has a challenge on two fronts he has to get over that uh, issue that's generally been a, a problem with his teams and he has to do it without the guy at Barca the number nine who who is the person who generally provides that cutting edge so that's that's something to keep an eye on let's see if that becomes a prolonged issue for Barca now under him or if it's just a case that as they become sharper and they get more training sessions under their belt that it, it evens out we'll see we'll see speaking about Kikis Jen I would like to to tackle a little bit of an issue as well or issue an issue but it's for for me it's been quite interesting to see the reactions now it's it's Twitter, but in in general, uh, on on Kikisitien when he's appointed Barca coach, but also previous, uh, because we've talked about this before as well. I would want to hear hear your opinion as well. But personally, I'm a big fan of Kikisitien. I like the type of football that he wants his teams to play. I think he's a very smart guy and that he's a good coach. But at the same time, I would consider him quite overrated uh, because of just. Uh, watching the, some of the results what he's done when he was at Betis but also previously because he's managed against uh, big teams often to do really really well but then so that's the games that I think the majority of people watch but then for those who watch the rest it's not been as impressive it's more been those specific games and uh, for instance now Betis fans are highly high demanding and probably too demanding for, for the status of their club and for what they actually have to work with. But if we take when Kiki Setien was in Betis, for example, Barca fans were dying to get Setien to coach their team, while Betis fans wanted him out. They really, really wanted him out. And uh, were, I think they are, they've been a bit uh, complaining a bit about Drube as well, but I think they're turning around there. Uh, but I find it quite interesting to see how much Barca fans want this coach, but the team that he was actually coaching, they didn't really want him at all. So how, how do you think, do, do you feel that he's perhaps, we, I think we can both agree that he's a good coach, that his teams play good football, 
But is he perhaps a little bit too overrated when it comes to the Barcelona fan base? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the, the, the impression I got was that Betis fans were bemused by the fact that Kiki Setien had been appointed as Barca coach. What I would say, and I think you touch on this too, is the most accurate or the fairest image of Kiki Setien is probably somewhere in between the one put forward by the Barca fans and the one put forward by the Betis fans. Betis is a special club, we've said this a hundred times. Uh, it's the most important place in the world, the most important club in the world to Betis fans, as it should be, but their demands and their expectations are sometimes not always realistic. Sometimes it can be a little bit too harsh um, because I think that, that a lot of times Kiki Setien played some really, really nice football with Betis and sometimes he was maybe unlucky as well with results. Other times he wasn't. I mean, me and you, we can talk, we were at the, the Seville Derby last season where he lost to Joaquin Caparros of Sevilla Joaquin Caparros has not been a full-time coach for years, um, but still seemed to completely have the upper hand on him. The fact, despite the fact that Betis were in that game for chunks, it always felt like Sevilla would get back into it and it always felt like Sevilla were the more likely to close it out. And I think that's a problem that he's had. Now, this is going to be interesting because we're going to see now, there's, there's always this idea put forward that, oh, well, let's the one in England is, oh, well, if, if you give you know, ex-manager at the that's at a bottom side in the Premier League, the players that Pep Guardiola has, then then he would be, be able to play amazing football and win games too. Well, we're now we're about to find out because the issue with Kiki Setien that's often been discussed is that, well, he has a kind of football that he wants to play, but he doesn't always have the players to play it. Well, now he has the players to play it. So now we're going to find out if he can not only play the, the ideal kind of football that he wants to play, but take results with that. We're going to see quite quickly what happens. He reminds me in a way of like a reverse Paco Jemez. So mm-hmm. it's, it's easy to laugh at Paco Jemez now in hindsight but there was a time when people were saying oh Paco Jemez you know look at what he's doing with Rayo with the kind of not particularly high quality of players imagine he was at Barca and what he could do and you know like Pep Guardiola I think said at one point there's only three people playing you know positional football these days it's Luis Enrique it's me and it's Paco Jemez so he was rated by the right people except Paco Jemez's problem was that he he always lost catastrophically in the big games so it's almost the reverse of what we have with Setien where he struggled to maybe win out the, the smaller games that he should have just been picking up three points or a point in or whatever because it was all or nothing with him but I don't know I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that that he'll have a pretty good season at Barca it's difficult also to judge on half a season I think next year when he gets a proper preseason, we'll get to fully see hopefully um, what he's capable of but I'm also conscious of the, the fact that there's a It'll be intriguing to follow the Barca fan reaction and how it develops mm-hmm. because bumps along the road are going to come. Barca are probably not going to win the Champions League. They, they might. They're still in it. They might. They're, on paper, there are better teams there that, that have a greater chance of winning it. So how, how are the Barca fans who've been asking for Kiki Setien so passionately for so long going to react when that problem comes? Are they going to react with patience? And to their credit, they might. They might say, okay, well, this is his you know, first half a season, that's expected, you know, we need to build on this. Or are they going to forget all the things that they said to begin with when they were criticising Ernesto Valverde for losing a handful of games, really, when it comes down to a handful of games? Uh, I think that'll be be something to watch. I personally uh, hope, really hope, that it's going to turn out well for him because, as I said before, I like his style, I like what he wants to do, the type of coach he is. Uh, but I am I am quite afraid that there is just too too high expectations on him, and people think he is on on a higher level than he like that he can perform type of miracles that he maybe can't perform. Um, so I think it's it might not be as as easy and straightforward as uh, as some Barca fans might think. And what I also find quite uh, interesting is just like the the hype that comes 
before he even had his first game. Like every move he does, people are acting as if he's changing the entire club in a matter of hours. He went to a Barca B game. Now La Masia is going to be the best again and return to his glory days. But as we said before as well, uh, I don't think Barca's problem really is we too is the coach, but they go a lot deeper than that. And that's not going to change just because Kike Setien is there. Uh, so I think uh, a few fans are probably going to be disappointed when they, they start to realise that after a while, which is not going to be Kike Setien's fault at all, because as I said, it's it's not about the coach really. To Kike Setien's former club. A club who I've decided today are the most unpredictable team in La Liga this season, because I today. have no idea what to make of them. Yes, just today. <laughs> Real Betis. <laughs> Aren't Betis the most unpredictable team in La Liga every season since since the team was like founded? (laughs) Bombazo from Liga. Bombazo finally (laughs) figured it out. Yeah, exactly. Who knows what Betis, eh? You watched them against Real Sociedad. I am a huge admirer of Ruby, so anytime they win a game, I like to pretend this is what happens all the time. And anytime they lose, I like to make excuses from them. This game was so much fun, to to be honest. Uh, Like it... Even if you you're, you were tired, even if you, like, before the game started, where I was like, I'm not really sure I really want to watch football. As soon as it was on, you're, you were completely hooked. It, it was a really, really good game from Betis. Um, I think uh, Real Sociedad has been the team that we've talked about most this season. It's been the te- team that we talked about being the most entertaining to watch in La Liga this season. Uh, but in this game, it was all about Betis, to be honest. I think Real Sociedad had a bit of a moment during the second half where we got to see a little bit more of what they're actually about and what we've seen earlier this season. But in general, it was Real Betis game from start to finish. Uh, it was like everything just finally clicked for them. It felt like you had this incredible passes, the movements, um, everything. I think, uh, as we've talked about Ruby before, and we... We both are big fans of Ruby. You said in the last episode of this podcast that that was your biggest disappointment this season so far, is that, that Ruby and Betis haven't really lived up to our expectations. I think Ruby listened to our podcast and was like, okay, he does. It's, it, it's, it's time to show, show Lee and Alex that, that we actually can, can play the football that they want us to play. And, and this game, just everything that we've been wanting to see from Betis that we haven't really seen uh, is clicked. I think they did some, some good... Uh, reinforcement during the during the winter during January um, they got in Alenia for example who was one player I really enjoyed in this game um, they just all linked up really well Canales was probably the best player for Betis the the evergreen ever young Joaquin stepped up being what he is uh, as well and, and and scoring and it's just like Basically, everything just fell into place. And I think maybe we just haven't had the patience that we should have had with Ruby. And, and things are turning around because seeing the way they played in this game and also against Real Sociedad, who once again, is uh, even though they haven't been as good away as they've been at home, they're still one of the best performing teams in La Liga, one of the best informed teams in La Liga. Um, and, and they had no chance in, in this game because Betis just found how it worked. I also want to point out one thing with Carlos Alenia, a little bit of an anecdote, which I think is, is quite funny. Always. So when he, and also because it's a Scandinavian podcast, it actually works pretty well. So there is a tournament in Stockholm uh, played every year called Lennart Johansson Academy Trophy, uh, which is uh, OECO, one of the Swedish clubs that I started. Uh, Lennart Johansson is the, the guy who was 
in UEFA president for, for a while uh, behind creating the, the current format of the Champions League. Anyway, so he's an Ajax legend. So, the, that's, so what they do is each year they invite some of the best teams around Europe to come and play for diff- in different age groups. I think it's uh, girls and boys and one is under 14. And I think this was the first year they had it when Carles Alenia was there playing uh, with Barca. And he played in the same youth team as Lee Sung-Hu, uh, who Barca fans might remember. He was talked about a lot uh, at that time as being the, the next big thing coming in the Barca Academy and, and things like that. And, and people would go to watch when, when Barca were playing there in Stockholm just to watch him. And there was articles in, in the Swedish newspapers, etc. Uh, and they were showing some of the games. I don't know, remember if they showed them on TV or if it was a streaming or anything, but I watched them on TV at home, I remember at least. And before, because I wanted to keep track uh, of if there was a player that stood out for me, I wanted to know who it was. So I'd written out all the players uh, and found out what numbers they had. The thing is that at youth level, they don't have the same numbers in each game. So... If they have one number in the league, they might have another one is play a tournament, which happened this time. So this guy with number 10 and the captain's armband was the one who stood out the most for me. And I was so amazed. And I thought his name was Alejandro Martinez throughout the entire tournament. Later found out it was Carles Alenio. <laughs> and he was, he was so good. It was like every game, everyone was talking about Lee Sung-Hu. He was the one scoring the goals. But this guy was the one dictating everything and so mature already at that young age. Uh, and I was just so impressed by him, but I just thought he was, his name was something else because I had, uh, had the wrong information. So now watching him play uh, with Betis the other day was pretty cool. Just the, the way how, how quickly he got into to the team as well, because he's a, he came from Barcelona alone now this January. So, uh, and just directly from, from the get-go into the starting eleven, and just finding his spot directly. Uh, I guess it's it's the right team, the right type of football, and 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 that was quite fun to see. And and Betis in general, as I said, in this game was just really really entertaining. If they can now, it's Betis, and they are unpredictable. They're always going to be unpredictable. Uh, but if they can can keep on this track, I think uh, they can do some really really good this season. You've actually just reminded me on when you got onto the subject of Carlos Alenia, and I was thinking about how much of a step this up up this is for him in such a short time. Because I mean, when he was making cameos for Barca, that's one thing, but. Last season, I want to say around about the autumn of last season, I went all the way, all the way to Sabadell from Barcelona, Sabadell Malapé, for those that who know it. That's very, very far, people. Huge, far. huge trip. I mean, it's essentially, not to insult people from Sabadell, it's not a suburb of Barcelona, but it's close enough that it almost could be, like it's a 40-minute train journey. But anyway, I went all the way, in inverted commas, TM, to Sabadell to watch Barca B against Sabadell with the thought that both Ricky Puj and, and Carles Alenia were in the squad. Uh, neither of them started and Carles Alenia only came on for like the last 10 minutes. But my takeaway from that, and I wrote an article about it, which as it turns out, I think was never published. So think of that what you will. Explaining that how for these guys and for someone like Alenia, Ricky Puj, like going and playing on these horrible pitches in the third division against teams that are just full of people who are like kicking lumps out of their opponents, mm-hmm. basically. It wasn't going to benefit them anymore, that they needed to go somewhere else if they really wanted to further their development because there was no more development to do at that level. And uh, now seeing that Alenia can slot into a, a really good team, uh, a really big club at a really high level and already start to perform, I think vindicates that point. I, I have a feeling that this move, especially under Ruby, who plays a kind of football that will suit him, um, who is very good at working with young players, I think in general, this will work out well for him. 
I have a, I have a sneaking suspicion it's going to go well for him. And now I also hope to return to the subject of Betis in general. Last season, Espanyol had quite a big dip in the winter. Remember, there was all the hype at the start of the year because they were sort of up towards top of the league. And I think maybe even going into the Barcelona derby, they were in the top four or thereabouts. Um, and then they, they plummeted and they couldn't buy a win for a couple of months. But then they surged again at the end and they pulled it back to get into Europe. So it, it wouldn't be a huge surprise if Betis at some point start to string together a run, I think, going into the sort of final third of the season because it does seem to be a little period where it takes some time for, for ideas to click with the Ruby's team and I know that has, has Girona had that issue as well although probably the bigger issue for them was they just didn't have the squad to get through the playoffs but I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic and I, I have a feeling it'll work out for my old favourite Ruby in the end and if it doesn't he's always welcome back at Montelivi because God knows he's needed <sighs> That's all I will say. We support you, Ruby. Yeah. For the moment. One thing I forgot to mention, staying on the subject of Espanol before we wrap up, uh, I want to just give a shout out to my man, my main man, Raul de Tomas, who scored on his La Liga debut as an Espanol player at the weekend in a massively impressive 2-1 win for Espanol at the area. I think 3,000 Espanol fans travelled down the road on the train or on the car to to the Ceramica as it's known these days. El Madrigal I was going to call it to watch that one. Oh, it's going to be El Madrigal for me. Yeah, exactly. But uh, RDT we haven't talked about it yet because I think the transfer fell sort of in between the cracks but if you're a team trying to pull off a great escape a great relegation escape I can't think of a better player to sign because for the vast majority of his goals for Rio last season who were a horrible team were self-generated basically created out of nothing because he got so little supply he got so little help with everything that he did and he's someone who not only is a great finisher in the box as the goal at the weekend showed but he's someone who can score from outside the box who can beat people I think it's going to work out well and I, now I'm changing my mind about Espanyol I think they might escape. Yeah. Yep. And to to do a really good uh, to turn change the subject, I'm going to say that Abelardo back at Espanol might, as we talked before, he did with Alaves came there when they were basically giving up all hope, uh, changed things around. Uh, we'll see if he managed to do that with Espanol. But one thing that uh, I haven't really thought that much about, but he actually did some good signings in that winter. Uh, window when he got there changed uh, the dynamic and got the right players in that would do the right thing we saw that with the uh, rdt uh, we're seeing that with rdt now and back then it was a guy called john gudetti who was signed for alaves in the winter window came in started scoring goals and was actually which is easy to forget now but he was actually a real huge key for alaves in in doing that the change and, and staying mm. up in la liga that season him and Munir were the, the two that yeah. created that beautiful partnership, I guess. And as we said at the start of the, the episode, John Gudetti has left us in the sense that he's left La Liga and, and Spain. Went very quick. He, he, he basically left his house and just moved like this, like not coming back, more or less. Um, it's only alone uh, to uh, Hanover, uh, which is also interesting because I, already before this happened, I already bo- booked a flight ticket to Hanover. No, I'm not going there to stalk Gudetti. <laughs> I'm going there to, to go to Wolfsburg and, and watch football, uh, which is a completely different thing. Uh, but I felt it was a bit of a coincidence. Anyways, uh, so John has gone on loan from Alaves after a long time wanting to leave Alaves. Uh, I would say it's been quite a struggle for him. Uh, but so we, we think we should... At the end of this episode, give a review of uh, Jan Gudetti's time in the Liga because he might come back, but he probably won't, uh, I would say. Uh, it's still alone, but it feels like it's going to be a little bit more permanent in some way or another of him leaving Alaves. Uh, 
let's just have a, a look back at what John Gudetti actually has done in La Liga. Yeah, well, I think there's two ways of looking at this. So I'll throw one of them back to you. I think there's there's the way he'll be remembered by Celta, which I think is always going to be the club he's most closely associated with. And then the way he'll be remembered more generally. And more generally, I think the last year and a half, if you like, is always going to shape that because it's, it's we're talking about this before we went, went on air, but not playing football is one of the worst things that can happen for a footballer and especially for the memory of a footballer because when they go through those prolonged periods where they're not in action, it conditions things. For me, I think the thing that will stand out is that he was a player who on very fine margins could have been even better. So that moment where he misses the chance against Manchester United in the, the semi-final for Celta in the Europa League sort of sums it up. If that goes in, then... John Gadetti's probably beyond even just at Celta. He's probably a sort of La Liga cult hero. I, I agree with you 100%. And I think that is what a lot of people kind of remember of him from, if you're not a Celta fan, and even a little bit if you're a Celta fan, but if you're not a Celta fan, what you remember from Gadetti at Celta was him missing that, that chance. And I think it's a little bit unfair on him, uh, especially since if you actually look at that chance, which I've done several times, the ball comes behind him. So it's actually not as easy as it looks uh, at first sight and as people have kind of made it out to be because he actually gets, don't get the ball in front of him. Uh, he gets it behind him, which makes the entire situation a lot more difficult than it is. When players don't play, it magnifies things like that, I think. So you look back mm-hmm. at what are the memories that stick out in your head. Oh yeah, that's that guy that missed that that chance in that game that could have been you know, an historic moment for Celta. Which also doesn't take into account the fact that he, he scored plenty of goals for Celta, particularly in his first season. But in general, he was, he was generally very reliable and well-liked there. Overall, I think if we're being realistic, because we're always biased, we, we pay more attention to these players for obvious reasons. I think probably your average your average La Liga fan won't have much great depth of memory about him. People who pay more attention to Celta might. They'll, they'll possibly remember him and Munir at Alaves when they surprised everyone. I think that'll, that'll stick out. But in general, I think it's a it's a shame because had a couple of moments gone slightly differently for him, then he, he might have left even more of an impact. But now I'm curious to hear, and I think I know the answer about this because you know better than anyone, what what his memory at Celta will be. So I think that this is also interesting in the terms of us being a, a Scandinavian uh, La Liga podcast because I think the how people, in, how Celta fans remembers and uh, and things about John Gudetti is very very different from how, for instance, Swedish people think that John Gudetti did at Celta. Because I think that Swedish media during the time when John Gudetti was at Celta, uh, a lot of Swedish media painted kind of the wrong picture of how it was going for him. So they were playing in three different tournaments at the same time. They were playing in La Liga, Europa League and the Copa del Rey. And what they did was that they put a lot more focus in Europa League and the Copa del Rey than they did in La Liga. So while most teams will rest players in uh, Copa del Rey uh, and play them in La Liga and let reserves play in Copa del Rey, etc. like that, uh, Berisso would at many times do the reverse and he would rotate a lot, which meant that those journalists who didn't really watch the games or didn't really actually follow what was happening, but would look at the stats and in that way determine how well a player is doing, which is kind of, if you have to follow a lot of players all over the world, we say all the the Swedish players and give a summary, but you're not actually, you can't actually follow, follow them. You will go and look at the stats. Okay, he played this much. And if someone is always playing in the starting level, it's obviously going well for them. If they're not, it's not. 
And what happened there, I think, is that a lot of Swedish media reported it like Jan Gerrit was not a starter for Celta when he actually was, because in the league, Berisa was resting the most important players for him to have in the Copa del Rey or in Europe at certain points of the season. I think if you ask people here and get the reaction, just like a week ago or so, I went took a taxi to the airport um, and the driver asked me where I was from. I said it was from Sweden, and he started singing the Gudetti song. And when Gudetti was playing here, that happened everywhere. In 2016, he was the top scorer of the Copa del Rey, together with, with Messi, Munir, Negredo and Suarez. They all had five goals each. Um, and that's when Celta took, got to the semi-final, uh, where he was knocked out by Alaves, who made it to the final. So his legacy at Celta... He's probably, he's probably not going to be remembered as one of the best players ever played for the club, but he's gonna probably going to be remembered as one of the most liked players that they've had around because uh, he's really, really liked there. Yeah, he's and so I mean he's left his mark. There's no doubt about that. So mm-hmm. farewell, John. I, maybe we'll see you later. We don't know, but let's just assume we won't. And hopefully it goes well for him in Germany, and hopefully he can he can get the playing time he needs at least and get things back on track because he's still got plenty of years ahead of him so i don't know about you alex but i think that's probably everything for an exciting weekend i think so we'll wish you all farewell then and we'll see you next week so adios i guess hasta luego ciao